0: Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice.
1: Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Mayo Clinic in the Midwest. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with my colleague, Dr. Grace Lynn, vice chair for the Division of Circulatory Failure, expert in the management of heart failure patients. Dr. Lynn, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, today I want to talk about mitral and management of mitral regurgitation to help people with heart failure. First of all, what is functional mitral regurgitation?
0: It's a great question. So functional mitral regurgitation is a, it's a pretty common problem that we see in the heart failure clinic. You know, we distinguish functional mitral regurgitation from what might be termed primary or organic mitral regurgitation because there are differences in how we approach patients and how we approach management. So we typically think of functional mitral regurgitation as, as something that's, that's secondary that happens to the mitral valve because of what's happening in the rest of the heart. So in heart failure, we expect that the ventricle will remodel. So if the patient has ischemic cardiomyopathy, there may be regional wall motion abnormalities. The patient has a dilated cardiomyopathy, the ventricle will be enlarged. And that'll have effects on the mitral valve structure. Instead of thinking of mitral regurgitation, that's because of a direct problem to the mitral valve, like a flail leaflet. In this case, we have changes to the mitral valve architecture. So the annulus will change, become dilated in patients with dilated cardiomyopathy. It'll become a little bit flatter. That results in some tethering of the the leaflets. If the patient has regional wall motion abnormalities, for example, because they had a prior infarct, we might expect that to to pull down or to change the position of the papillary muscles and that can affect the mitral valve. So so basically what we're saying is that it's, it's a problem with the ventricle that then causes a secondary problem with the mitral valve and it leads to problems with coaptation and that's what results in mitral regurgitation.
1: So fundamentally when you're looking at it with an echocardiogram you can clearly see the difference between organic and functional mitral regurgitation.
0: I would say so. I mean, you know, when I approach one of these patients in the echo lab, because in addition to seeing patients in the heart failure clinic, I'll also be reading their echoes and, and, and interpreting the echoes as I'm seeing the patient, that I always look at the mitral valve when I see a patient with severe mitral regurgitation and think, what's the mechanism? Because that, that's immediately how I split my mind, how I think about treating this patient. So I can see that there's a problem with the mitral valve itself. There's prolapse, or there's a flow segment, or I could see that that it's really a ventricular problem, ventricular problem leading to changes in mitral valve architecture, and then maybe hemodynamic changes, increased preload, um, other factors that, that lead me to think that the mitral regurgitation is secondary to other things that are happening in the heart.
1: So you in heart failure clinic, you see a patient and you notice that they have functional mitral regurgitation. How do you treat that? And how does that fit into the overall treatment paradigm?
0: So in contrast to a patient that has primary or organic mitral valve disease, where I think that the problem is that the mitral valve is abnormal, it's flail or it's prolapsed. And I need to fix that mitral valve because that's called mitral regurgitation and the mitral regurgitation caused the heart failure. Here, I'm thinking that, that it's more of a structural problem with the heart ventricular problem, hemodynamic problem that's led to functional mitral regurgitation. So I think more about how can I change the structure of the heart? How can I change the hemodynamics? So, what can I do to improve this patient's heart failure that will hopefully help the heart to remodel in a way that the mitral regurgitation gets better? So, I think first, uh, is this is a patient who's volume overloaded. Can I tell that from the physical exam? Or do I see increased filling pressure on the echo that tells me what I need to do is offload this patient by decreasing preload and putting the patient on higher doses of diuretics? And also look to see whether this is a patient that can be optimized with medical therapy. So we know that guideline-directed medical therapy aimed at improving hemodynamics and neurohormonal blockade, that that can help to improve the function and hemodynamics of the heart. And that may lead to improvement in mitral regurgitation, which is another important point about functional mitral regurgitation is that it's dynamic. And it really changes depending on what a a patient's particular presentation is like that day. So for example, someone comes into the hospital very, very volume overloaded, we might expect to see more mitral regurgitation than at a later time when we had a chance to optimize them with them on medical therapy and to diurese them, then maybe the mitral regurgitation is a little less prominent.
1: So the heart volume becomes a little smaller, the leaflets then get closer together and you get less leakage kind of thing. It's a good way to think of it. So what is a Mitra clip, and who's eligible? How do you pick people for it?
0: So Mitra clip is, um, it's really been an interesting technology and kind of a game changer in how we think about mitral regurgitation. Because I think, you know, for a lot of times um, or a lot of years that we thought of mitral regurgitation as something that happened with a later stage of ventricular remodeling. So the patient has progressive heart failure, progressive LV remodeling, and then they end up with functional mitral regurgitation. And that, that's a consequence of what's happening to the heart and what's happening with heart failure. And we wouldn't necessarily think to fix it because the patient might be too high risk to surgery and they, they may not necessarily have a lot of mortality or survival benefit from doing that. And the MitraClip, the two MitraClip main trials, the FR, the French trial, and the US trial, co op trial really changed that and made us think about functional mitral regurgitation as a target. It's something we can treat that might potentially re- uh, improve heart failure and, and outcomes for this particular patient instead of something that we thought of as an as, as end result of heart failure that we would just leave alone and manage medically as, as best we could. So I think of a patient as being eligible for mitroclip This is someone who has been treated with medical therapy, is optimized on guideline-directed medical therapy, which today in 2002, we know means quadruple therapy with um, a RAS inhibitor, a beta blocker, an SGLT2 inhibitor, and a spironolactone or an MRA. We know that those patients who are maximally optimized with medical therapy and still have severe mitral regurgitation are symptomatic, but those are the patients that we can probably help with mitral clip or a tear, I guess is the preferred term now, which is the transcatheter edge-edge repair of, of the mitral valve. And that, that uh, optimization of medical therapy is really the key. It's to find those patients that have been completely medically optimized and still have severe MR, those are the patients that are most likely to benefit.
1: So just at a very high level, what is the procedure? What's done?
0: So the procedure is done in the cath lab. So rather than thinking of an open heart surgery, a conventional mitral valve repair surgically, it's a procedure that we do in the cath lab. And it's just like it sounds. It's an edge-to-edge repair. If you think of the old um, Alfieri stitches, you could sometimes still see those. Um, In the echo lab, where uh, you look at the mitral valve and it looks like it's kind of clipped in the middle. The surgeons put a little stitch in the middle of the valve, and you can see the mitral valve opening, but that middle part always stays together. So that's what the clip does, in effect, is that in the cath lab, we can use um, an interventional approach, a non surgical approach, to place this clip on the mitral valve. And if one clip is sufficient, you can use that to reduce the amount of mitral regurgitation. The valve will probably still leak some, but a lot less than before. And in some cases, if one clip isn't enough, you can put multiple clips on to get a better result and less residual mitral regurgitation.
1: So with one clip, then if the leaflets aren't co in the middle, they're now stuck together there and you have two smaller orifices on either side of the clip.
0: Yeah, exactly. So again, if you, if you think about how this looks like from a short axis image of the mitral valve where you, you could see that, that clip down, if you think of the donut, and then you see that clip down section in the middle, and then on either side, two orifices that open and
1: close. So, what kind of outcomes were seen in the Coap trial and the Mitra FR trial? What might patients expect? Is my first question, and the second one will be: the two trials didn't show the same outcome in terms of benefit. And I'd like you just to comment on that and the impact on patient selection.
0: Yeah, there's really been a lot written about that topic, and I think it was really a surprise to people first when Coap was positive, and second, then when the French trial wasn't. And and really to think about how. To reconcile those results. But I think actually the two trials are very complementary because I think a really important difference between the two trials was how they selected patients. So CoAct, for example, was a positive trial because the main thing was that they were able to show this improvement in survival, which the French trial was not. Even though the two trials enrolled similar patients with advanced heart failure and dilated hearts, who had significant mitral regurgitation there were subtle differences in the two patient populations that I think are really really important in terms of patient selection and if you think about it when you put the two trials together it really tells a story about how we think about managing heart failure and overall fits with what we've we've thought about functional mitral regurgitation and how our thoughts have evolved over the years so looking at the two patient populations side by side Both trials required that patients were maximally optimized on medical therapy, but the COAP trial had a fairly strict enrollment criteria where the enrolling physician would have to present the patient to a central committee and justify the type of medical therapy that had been prescribed. Um, and, and having been someone who enrolled in the trial, I can testify to how strict those criteria were. So, that it was important to document if patients were not able to reach a particular target of medical therapy, why that was, so that the committee could be very satisfied that, that everything had been done and this patient was maximized. The Mitra FR trial also required that patients be intensified on medical therapy, but left that to the treating team, to the local team. So, there wasn't that centralized committee. Then when you looked at the outcome side-by-side side in the GDMT arm, the medical arm, of COAP, those patients had somewhat better reduction in functional mitral regurgitation with medical therapy alone, less heart failure events. So it suggested that maybe the medical therapy was more intense or at least more, um, more uniform in that group than it was in the mitral FR group. So that's really one important difference. The second difference was that the COAP trial put a cap on how big the ventricles could be. So 70 millimeters, which is in the new heart failure guidelines, uh, ventricles of less than 70 millimeters is a criteria for being eligible for mitroclip. and that comes directly from the co-op trial. So the co-op trial selected people with smaller ventricles and more severe mitral regurgitation. So you could say, in a way, it's disproportionate MR for the size of the ventricle, whereas in MitraFR, the ventricles tended to be bigger, and the ERO, or the way that we, we graded the severity of MR, suggested that the MR was not as severe. And then the third difference was that the people in the co-op trial had, on average, a higher BNP, suggesting they're maybe sicker and a little bit more decompensated. So in, in a really high level, you could say in the co-op trial, they, they really selected the patients with the strictest and most intensified medical therapy, where the ventricles were, were not necessarily too big, but they had the most severe MR. So it's a really, really highly selected group. So the, the way that I, I take away points from that is that there may be patients where the ventricle is too big, so it's kind of the past the point of no return, and maybe treating the functional mitral regurgitation isn't going to improve things. But there are patients that have reached that point or the sweet spot where the ventricle's remodel just enough, you've given just enough medical therapy, and now's the time to do the repair with the mitral clip, and maybe the patient will have benefit.
1: Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's really clear, and it just, underlines the importance of patient selection to get benefit. Mm-hmm. You pointed out that there's a reduction in mortality. What other benefits might patients see from undergoing the mitroclip procedure if they're appropriately selected?
0: I would say that the optimal outcome for me when I'm setting a patient for mitral clip procedure is that I want to see the types of benefits that I would see with any type of therapy for heart failure. that is I'd like to see an improvement in their hemodynamics so a patient with decompensated heart failure, mitral regurgitation I expect the filling pressures to be quite high and then pulmonary hypertension which is secondary would be quite high or the RVSP would be quite high Um, these patients may have more advanced renal function as a Uh, consequence of having advanced heart failure. So I would expect to see symptoms improve, expect to see hemodynamics improve, including secondary pulmonary hypertension. And then in some cases, as we treat these patients, maybe there would be an improvement in in other parameters as well, such as renal function.
1: As you look into your crystal ball towards the future, because this really is a dramatic shift in the way we treat patients with heart failure. Do you see other dramatic changes or what do you see as the next big things to help us care for people with
0: heart failure? So if we move beyond the mitral valve, I mean, we already have transcatheter aortic valve replacements, and now we have a pretty clear way of thinking about which patients are going to benefit from transcatheter mitral valve repair. I think the next frontier is the tricuspid valve. You know, we've, we've always talked about this as the forgotten valve, and in our patients with advanced heart failure, eventually left heart failure becomes biventricular heart failure. Biventricular heart failure almost invariably involves severe tricuspid regurgitation, I think we've always struggled with how to manage those patients. So there's some really exciting things happening in the transcapital realm for interventions on the tricuspid valve, and I'm hopeful that um, eventually we'll find some type of a solution, at least a pathway to managing those patients in a percutaneous and non-surgical manner as well.
1: It really is striking the the new advances in heart failure that are just changing the field from drugs that we never really thought of as heart failure drugs, but as diabetes drugs, to transcatheter yeah. therapies to more advanced therapies. Dr. Grace Lynn, thank you so much for speaking with me today and educating all of us on new ways of taking care of heart failure.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.